Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Talk Recorded live.
All right, good afternoon all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is January 2nd, 2015, and it is Friday. Oh, it's about seven minutes afternoon out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If all that's true where you're at, we are, in fact, live, which means you can call in. Although today I've got a full plate. I've got a lot of stuff to get to. Let me tell you, man, this is a busy news day, lots of things to talk about. And uh, so we'll just get started. Go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. That's where you can participate in the show also in the chat room. Go there over on the left-hand side. Scroll down a little bit. You'll see the chat link. Click it. Follow the instructions. Get on in there. Participate in the show. Talk with the other folks in there. Make some friends. You know, communicate. Tune up your communication skills, huh? Because you need to get out there and start talking to people about the things you know that they don't know. You can't expect these people to act any different while they live in ignorance, okay? And it may be a willful ignorance, but nevertheless, it's ignorance all the same, and you can't expect people to act smart when they're ignorant. you got to help them out. So that's your job. you got to do that. That's what you ought to be doing for 2015. Anyway, let's get to some news. I've got uh, something here I want to get to, and it all leads into something. It's all tied together. You've heard me mention the race baiters, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and I always include the lunatic, Louis Farrakhan, right? Well, here's something about old Louis. Just 28 days before two New York police officers were gunned down in supposed retaliation for the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Gardner, Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan called for violent retaliation against white police. Now, there is some question whether this assassinations, because this wasn't gunned down. These cops were not gunned down in a shootout, okay? They were assassinated. It was a sniper who assassinated them. There is some question whether these cops were involved in illicit drug commerce. And a deal went bad and they were eliminated. You don't screw the drug cartels over whether you're a cop or not. They don't care. It's just business, baby. Don't take it personally. They're real about that. So... You know, who knows if it was in retaliation or not, but nevertheless, old Louie took it, uh, you know. Uh, Anyway, as long as they, white police, kill us and go to Wendy's and have a burger and go to sleep, they'll keep killing us, Farrakhan ranted. But when we die and they die, then soon we're going to sit at a table and talk about it. You know, I really cannot argue with what Farrakhan is saying here. You know, honestly, you know, look, when you're right, you're right. I don't care if you're a raven lunatic. When you're right, you're right. Just because you're crazy and you're a race-baiting bigot doesn't mean you can't be right. And in this case, Louis Farrakhan is right, other than it isn't just white police, which we'll get to in a moment. All right? He says, we're tired. We want some of this earth or we'll tear this GD country up. Well, you know what? You want some of this earth? Your earth is over in Africa. Go back over there. 
Go claim that place. Man, you know, do you realize if if a group of people would simply go to one of these African nations and purge the corrupt government and set up a, a government? Do you realize in just a couple of generations how rich and prosperous they would be? I mean, Africa is teeming with natural resources. You can grow things. I mean, the climate is great. You know, I, I mean, really, you could be in just a couple of generations probably one of the richest countries on the planet. I mean, look at what, look at what the, uh, the, the white settlers did in South Africa. They built that country up to one of the richest nations on the, on the planet. And it's small and tiny and all that stuff, and it's in Africa. But, man, I'm telling you, South Africa was cooking for a while. But now, of course, it's in disarray and in shambles because, well, the white minority was displaced by the black majority. And now they're running it their way, which is into the ground. You know, that may be the African way. But I'm telling you, Louis Farrakhan may be a race-baiting bigot. But you know what? He's not stupid. This is a well-educated man, and there's a lot of well-educated blacks in this country. They could go to an African nation, and they could turn it into one of the most prosperous places on the earth if they chose to, but they don't, okay? Look, that's what Western Europeans decided to do. Hey, they didn't like how things were going in England. They were being abused by the crown, and they didn't like it. They were being religiously persecuted. Socially persecuted, they didn't like it. So you know what they did? They got on boats and they went somewhere else to start a new life. Hey, people back east couldn't get jobs, couldn't make a living, couldn't get ahead, didn't have any opportunities because why? Well, the ruling classes controlled everything on the east coast. So what did they did? They got in wagons and they headed west. Go west, young man, and they started a new life and built the West up to be prosperous. You see, that's how you do things. You don't sit in a corner, curled up in a ball, whine and cry, and uh, beat up everybody who comes near you because you're pissed off because you're a loser. And that's what the black community has been taught to do, not by guys like Louis Farrakhan. i got to say, this guy is a little more action-oriented than Al Sharpton and, uh, you know, uh, Jesse Jackson, who really, you know, you need to cry, you need to get mad, you need to want more welfare, you need to want more free stuff. Come on, come on. You want to be a better taken-care-of slave. That's what Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton want for the black community. They want them well-cared-for slaves. Louis Farrakhan seems to be a little bit more on the action-oriented, hey, man, let's do something about this sort of thing. I don't – I really can't argue with this thing because, I mean, when he says when we die and they die, then soon we're going to sit down at a table and talk about it. Yeah, that's what usually happens when people go to war. You know, you go to war for a while, you kill each other for a while, and everybody gets tired of it after a while. And you sit down and you negotiate a peace. Sometimes that's the only way, and Louis Farrakhan is right. Now, uh, Farrakhan was speaking at a taxpayer-funded Morgan State University in Baltimore, and he cited a law of retaliation in both the Bible and the Muslim Quran. Of 
course, the Bible, he, you know, he's using the Old Testament, which is fine. Um, he called white people crackers and said in his two-hour-long speech, they know an explosion is going to come. Now, you see, this is the, this is the, I could really learn to respect Louis Farrakhan if he would get off the race bait and bigotry. But, like I said, Louis Farrakhan is not stupid. This is a well-educated, intelligent man. And I don't, uh, you know what? I don't think he is a racist myself. I think he uses the race card to incite his sheeple, the black community sheeple, because he knows that's what they need to get excited. They need their boogeyman, and their boogeyman is the white guy. They're no different than you. You got to always have a boogeyman, too. Who is it today? North Korea, the Iranians? What? Well, who's it going to be tomorrow? There's always some boogeyman out there that you got to rally the troops around, right? And Farrakhan's doing the same thing, man. He's just saying, yeah, the white crackers, you know, and he uses these words, these inflammatory uh, racial slurs, you know, to get them all excited. But his message is quite different than Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. If you if you listen to it or read it anyway, it says they, meaning whites, know an explosion is going to come. You leaders are the worst. He's absolutely right. The leaders are the worst because they're not supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to be representatives, but they're acting like they're leaders, and they are corrupt, immoral, disgusting creatures. But. Tonight in Ferguson, everyone is on edge. White folks ain't never been on edge after they killed a black man. Tonight they're on edge. So on edge that our president has come from behind the curtain to ask black young people to cool it. Well, see, here's the bad thing about Louis enticing his 13% of the population that ain't even all going to follow him. But let's say 5% do. Uh, you will be crushed and killed if you get too out of hand by the white majority. You know, if you think, you see, this is, the, this is always the mistake people make. Now, Americans are inherently lazy, all right? Americans are inherently self-centered, okay? It just always has been. It's not just a new thing. It's always been that way. Americans just want to go about their business and be left alone, and I mean white Americans. And for the most part, I think the majority of the black community, I think the radical race bait and bigots are a minority in the black community. And everybody else just goes along with it because they got to. Plus, everybody has this inherent herd mentality. So, you know, the strong ones with the big mouths, you know, they're out there race baiting and doing all this other stuff. Well, the, the, the meek, ignorant sheep, are going to follow them because, you know, they don't know what else to do. That's the thing about sheep. They need somebody to lead them around or else they'll die. They don't know what to do. So read about sheep. <laughs> You'll find out. This is, it's, I don't think it's an accident. Men and women are referred to as sheep in the Bible because it's really true. Now listen, and, and it's been said, you will either be led by tyrants or you will be led by God. Well, look around. I think, uh, you know, this so-called Christian nation 
doesn't seem real Christian to me, or else we would be being led by God, but we're not. It appears to me we are being led by tyrants. Now, he goes on and says, but the young, they're God's children, and they're not going to... Uh, they're not going down being peaceful. Listen, listen, watch now, because once it starts, it's on. You may not want to fight, but you better get ready. Teach your babies how to throw the bottle if they can't fight. We're going to die anyway. Let's die for something. You know, I'll tell you what. I, I really can't criticize him on his, yeah, okay, you know, I can look at him as a being a white guy. All right, so Farrakhan's my enemy. He's on the other side and he wants to fight. I can't really blame the guy. I can't really argue with what he's saying because I kind of feel the same way. You know, I mean, look, man, are you going to go down on your knees or are you going to go down fighting? See, Farrakhan, the only real issue I have with Farrakhan is his race bait and bigotry. Because this isn't an issue really of black and white. Sure, there's some people that are more disadvantaged than others. That's just the way world the world always is. But the bottom line is, they're not just coming for you blacks. They're coming for everybody. If you're not in the top 5%, they're coming for you. They want everything you've got. They want to put you in a mud hut, and then they want to kill you after they've drained you of every value you might have to them. That's their plan, and it don't matter. They don't care if you're black or white or Mexican or Chinese. This is their plan. If you're not in the top 5%, you're a human resource to be used up and then discarded. Get it through your head. Now, yeah, if you're going to point to the upper 5% of white people, yeah, you bet. I don't like them either. Now, let's look at something else here uh, about Farrakhan here. Um, I'm going to skip some of this. Uh, Somebody, he goes, okay, I did a little research according to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reports from 2000 to 2004. Police involved in justifiable homicides kill about 350 people a year. 99% of that is by shooting. Virtually all police-involved killings are categorized as justifiable. Of those killed by police, 32% are black and 64% are white. Okay, so... There is a lot more white people, almost double the amount of white people being killed by police than there are blacks being killed by police, just in straight numbers. Now, you can say, yeah, but, you know, 32% is like double the national demographic of blacks, which is around 13%, which is true, but let's read on. While the percentage of blacks killed is high compared to the black percentage in America, 13%, it is low compared with other indicators of violence. See, this is something that the the media, oh, well, you just skip by that. Oh, 32% of blacks are killed and they're only 13% of the population. (laughs) Well, really, are are whites 64% of the population? They probably are, so that's about right. Anyway, 
Let's look at percentage of homicide victims and offenders believed to be African American. Okay? That's 48%. Wow, that's even higher than the amount killed by cops. Perhaps it's more useful to compare police-involved shootings with those killed by non-police officers among justifiable homicides by regular citizens. That's about 210 a year. Okay, so there are about 210 justifiable homicides committed by regular citizens. You know, somebody busts in your home, you shoot them. You know, kill them. Now, get this. African Americans are 40% of those who do the killing. And 56% of those that are killed. Wow. Folks. Okay, you, you getting that? Let me read that to you again. 40%. Now, there's about 210 justifiable homicides in America every year by regular citizens. And 40% of those who did the killing are black. And 56 of those killed are black. So it's, oh, well, there's obvious, uh, you know, prejudice going on here. Blacks obviously don't like blacks, do they? I mean, because, uh, wow, they're killing, you know, 56% of them. And blacks don't like blacks the other way either, because obviously the 56% that got killed made the 40% kill them. Because, let's not forget, it was justifiable. This is not taking into account black-on-black illegal killings, you know, like gang killings and stuff on the streets of Chicago. No, 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 we're not even taking into account that. So when you look at these numbers, uh, and I'm no defender of the police, but uh, their killing of black men seems to be a bit restrained, doesn't it? More restrained than your average person in their home saying, oh, no, you're not breaking in here. I'll kill you. So you see, there's a lot to this, you know, uh, when you take it all into account and look at the real truth of the matter. You can't get the truth of a matter out of a one-line statistic. You've got to look at more things. Now, I'm going to read this, and this came from, uh, let's see, Alan West. A friend of mine gave me the link to this, and uh, Alan West, Alan West, you've probably heard of him. Uh, he's a black man, and, and this is off of his site. Now, it says that he wrote this on, uh, let's see, it says that he wrote this, written by Alan West on December 29, 2014, okay, and this is off of uh AllenBWest.com. Right? And uh, that's, you know, now I don't know that he wrote it. I I find it amazingly, uh, I just find it amazing. And and I think you will too when you hear it. And uh, why I'm a little discombobulated is here, I'm trying to. Trying to get the music. I'm trying to get the break together here because I'm going to have to take a break here in a little bit. And uh, 
have it ready to go. So we will do that, and then we'll be ready to go here because I really want to read this to you. You're, you're, I found it. Wow. And I haven't lived I, – I kind of live in a bubble now. I mean, for one, I live in Oregon, which is kind of a, a you know, a, a racial bubble anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, and I, I pretty much stay – I only go downtown once a week anyway, you know. So I kind of do live in a bubble now, to be honest with you, but I haven't always. You know, I hitchhiked around the country for uh, almost seven years, and I was also in the military. So I've had my – I've had a lot of interaction with other races, actually. And I've got to tell you, from what I've seen – Everything I read in this is very accurate. Now, a lot of people will be mad, you know, in the black community and say this is racism and this is – well, it's not racism if it's accurate. And, again, when you, when you do stories like this, you have to remember there are always exceptions to the rule. For instance, the black man writing this is an exception to the rule. But you can't discard the rule because there's a few exceptions. You know, so if you're in the black community and this does not apply to you, then don't take it personally. If it does apply to you, maybe you ought to look at yourself and think, hmm, I wonder why life, uh, you know, doesn't work out the way I want it to. Okay, let's see. I am a public defender in a large southern metropolitan area. Fewer than 10% of the people in the area I serve are black. But over 90% of my clients are black. The remaining 10% are mainly Hispanics, but there are a few whites. I have explanation for why this is, but crime has racial patterns. Hispanics usually commit two kinds of crimes, sexual assault on children and driving under the influence. Blacks commit many violent crimes, but very few sex crimes. The handful of whites I see commit all kinds of crimes. In, man, in my many years as a public defender, I have represented only three Asians, and one was half black. As a young lawyer, I believed the official story that blacks are law-abiding, intelligent, family-oriented people, but are so poor they must turn to crime to survive. Actual black behavior was a shock me. The media invariably sugarcoat black behavior. Even the news reports of the very crimes I dealt with in court were slanted. Television news intentionally leaves out unflattering facts about the accused and sometimes omits names that are obviously black. All this rocked my liberal tolerant beliefs, but it took me years to set aside my illusions and accept the reality of what I see every day. I have now served thousands of blacks and their families, protecting their rights and defending them in court. What follow are my observations. Although blacks are only a small percentage of our community, the courthouse is filled with them. The halls and gallery benches are overflowing with black defendants, families, and crime victims. Most whites with business in court arrive quietly, dress appropriately, and keep their heads down. They get in and get out, if they can, as fast as they can. 
for blacks, the courthouse is like a carnival. They all seem to know each other, hundreds and hundreds each day, gossiping, laughing loudly, waving, and crowding the hall. Now, I'm going to skip, I'm going to stop there, and we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back in a bit. I, I suggest you to stay tuned and listen to this, because it's, uh, if, if, if you've been around, it'll ring true. If it hasn't, it should be an eye-opener, because you'll just have to take my word for it. It does ring true. Stay tuned. Thank you. 
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Yeah. 
We're back. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steph, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You can go in there. You can chat with the chatters. You can make comments. We were having a little conversation in there. Anyway, uh, Okay, did you get the message there? Eat the rich? Yeah, well, let's see, this is where I'm coming from here. I'm trying to make the point that, look, there isn't as much racism going on as is being presented in the media. What a shock, right? But there is a big problem, okay? And it's not black, white, Mexican, Asian, whatever. It's money, okay? There's only one color here, and it's green. Either you got it or you don't. And if you don't got it, you're in the lower 95%. You know what? You're a human resource to be used up and discarded. You're nothing more than an animal. Check out their laws. They call you an animal straight up. And they treat you like it if you just look around and open your eyes. And it doesn't matter if you're black or you're white. Now, I was reading an article here from Alan B. West. He's a black man and apparently a uh, public defender because the, the, the site says he wrote this. So anyway, I'll pick up where I left off. 
When I am appointed to represent a client, I introduce myself and explain that I am his lawyer. I explain the court process and my role in it. And I ask the client some basic questions about himself. At this stage, I can tell with great accuracy how people will react. Hispanics are extremely polite and deferential. And Hispanic will never call me by my first name and will answer my questions directly and with appropriate respect for my position. <laughs> Whites are similarly respectful. A black man will call will never call me Mr. Smith. I am always Mike, which is in quotes. It is not unusual for a 19-year-old black to refer to me as dog. A black may mumble complaints about everything I say and roll his eyes when I politely interrupt so I can continue with my explanation. Also, everything I say to blacks must be at about the third grade level. If I slip up and use adult language, they get angry because they think I'm flaunting my superiority. At the early stages of a case, I explain the process to my clients. I often do not yet have the information in the police reports. Blacks are unable to understand that I do not yet have answers to all their questions, but that I will by a certain date. They live in the here and now and are unable to wait for anything. Usually by the second meeting with the client, I have most of the police reports and understand their case. Unlike people of other races, blacks never see their lawyer as someone who's there to help them. Well, you know, I really can't blame blacks for that. Because generally speaking, your public defender is not there to help you. Your public defender is there to make a deal and get you in and out as fast as possible, in and out or in, because you're going to jail usually if you've got a public defender. So anyway, you know, just that's my little take on it from my own experiences. I am a part of the system which they are waging war. They often explode with anger at me and are quick to blame me for anything that goes wrong in their case, which is whose fault else could it be? If you're their lawyer and you're handling their case and something goes wrong in their case, well, it's your fault. Anyway, black men often try to trip me up and challenge my knowledge of the law or the facts of the case. I appreciate sincere questions about the elements of the offense or the sentencing guidelines, but blacks ask questions to test me. Unfortunately, they are almost always wrong in their reading or understanding of the law, and this can cause friction. I may repeatedly explain the law and provide copies of the statute showing, for example, why my client must serve six years if convicted, but he continues to believe that a handwritten note from his celly is controlling law. The risks of trial. The Constitution allows a defendant to make three crucial decisions in his own case. He decides whether to plead guilty or not guilty. He decides whether to have a bench trial or a jury trial. He decides whether he will testify or whether he will remain silent. A client who insists on testifying is almost always making a terrible mistake, but I can't stop him. Most blacks are unable to speak English well. They cannot conjugate verbs. They have a poor grasp of verb tenses. They have a limited vocabulary. They cannot speak without swearing. They often become hostile on the stand. Many, when they testify, show a complete lack of empathy and are unable to conceal a morality based on the satisfaction of immediate base needs. This is a disaster, especially in a jury trial. Most jurors are white and are appalled by the demeanor 
of uneducated criminal blacks. Prosecutors are delighted when a black defendant takes the stand. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. However, the defense usually gets to cross-examine the black victim, who is likely to make just as bad impression on the stand as the defendant. This is an invaluable gift to the defense, because jurors may not convict the defendant, even if they think he is guilty, if they dislike the victim even more than they dislike the defendant. Most criminal cases do not go to trial. Often the evidence against the accused is overwhelming, and the chances of conviction are high. The defendant is better off with a plea bargain, pleading guilty to a lesser charge and getting a lighter sentence. The decision to plead to a lesser charge turns on the strength of the evidence. When blacks ask the ultimate question, will we win at trial, I tell them, I, I cannot know. But I will then describe the strengths and the weaknesses of our case. The weaknesses are usually obvious. There are five eyewitnesses against you, or you made a confession to both the detective and your grandmother. They found you in possession of a pink cell phone with a case that has rhinestones spelling the name of the victim of the robbery. There is a video of the murderer wearing the same T-shirt you were wearing when you were arrested, which has the words in Dahoos on the back. Not to mention you have the same Rip Rip, Rip Pookie 7412 tattoo on your neck as the man in the video. If you tell a black man that the evidence is very harmful to his case, he'll blame you. You ain't working for me. It's like you're working with the state. Well, he is working with the state, but, you know, I mean, hey, if they got you on video, you're pretty much screwed. But anyway, every public defender hears this. The more you try to explain the evidence to the black man, the angrier it gets. It is my firm belief many blacks are unable to discuss the evidence against them rationally because they cannot view things from the perspective of others. They simply cannot understand how the facts in the case will appear to a jury. This inability to see things from someone else's perspective helps explain why there are so many black criminals. They do not understand the pain they are inflicting on others. One of my robbery clients is a good example. He and two co-defendants walked into a small store run by two young women. All three men were wearing masks. They drew handguns and ordered the women in the back room. One man beat a girl with his gun. The second man stood over the second girl while the third man emptied the cash register. All of this is on video. My client was the one who beat the girl. When he asked me, what are our chances of trial, I said, not so good. He immediately got angry, raised his voice, and accused me of working with the prosecution. I asked him how he thought a jury would react to the video. They don't care, he said. I told him the jury would probably feel deeply sympathetic towards these two women and would be angry at him because of how he treated them. I asked him whether he felt bad for the women he had beaten and terrorized. He told me what I suspected, what too many blacks say about the suffering of others. What do I care? She ain't me. She ain't kin. Don't even know her. Huh. As a public defender, I have learned many things about people. One is that defendants do not have fathers. If a black man, if a black even knows the name of his father, he knows of him only as a shadowy person with whom he has absolutely no ties. When a client is sentenced, I often beg for mercy on the grounds that the defendant did not have a father and never had a chance in life. I have often tracked down the man's father in jail and have brought him to the sentencing hearing to testify that he never knew his son and never lifted a finger to help him. Often, this is the first time my client's ever met his father. 
these meetings are utterly unemotional. Many black defendants don't even don't even have mothers who care about them. Many are raised by grandmothers after the state removes the children from an incompetent teenage mother. Many of these mothers or grandmothers are mentally unstable and are completely disconnected from the realities they face in court and in life. A 47-year-old grandmother will deny that her grandson has gang ties, even though his forehead is tattooed with a gang sign or slogan. When I point this out, in as kind and understanding way as I can, she screams at me. When black women start screaming, they invoke the name of Jesus and shout swear words in the same breath. Black women have great faith in God, but they have a twisted understanding of his role. They do not pray for strength or courage. They pray for results, the satisfaction of immediate needs. One of my clients was a black woman who prayed in a circle with her accomplices for God's protection from the police before they would set out on to commit a robbery. The mothers and grandmothers pray in the hallways not for justice but for acquittal. When I explain that the evidence that their beloved child murdered the shopkeeper is overwhelming and that he should accept the very fair plea bargain I have negotiated, they will tell me that he's going to trial and will ride with the Lord. They tell me they speak to God every day and he assures them that the young man will be acquitted. The mothers and grandmothers do not seem to be able to imagine and understand the consequences of going to trial and losing. Some, and this is a shocking reality it took me a long time to grasp, don't really care what happens to the client, but want to make it look as though they care. This means pounding their chest in righteous indignation and insisting on going to trial despite terrible evidence. They refuse to listen to the one person, me, who has the knowledge to make the best recommendation. These people soon lose interest in the case and stop showing up after about the third or fourth court date. It is then easier for me to convince the client to act on his own best interest and accept the plea bargain. Part of the problem is that underclass black women began having babies at age 15. They continue to have babies with different black men until they had five or six. These women do not go to school. They do not work. They are not ashamed to live on public money. They plan their entire lives around the expectation that they will always get free money and never have to work. I do not see this among whites, Hispanics, or any other people. The black men who become my clients also do not work. They get Social Security disability payments for a mental defect or for a vague and invisible physical ailment. They do not pay for anything, not for housing. Grandma lives on welfare, and he lives with her. Not for food. Grandma and the baby mama share with him, and not for child support. When I learn that my 19-year-old defendant does not work or go to school, I ask, what do you do all day? He smiles, you know, just chill. These men live in a culture with no expectations, no demands, and no shame. If you tell a black man to dress properly for trial and don't give specific instructions, he will arrive in wildly inappropriate clothes. I represented a woman who was on trial for drugs. She wore a baseball cap with a marijuana leaf embroidered on it. I represented a man who wore a shirt that read, Rules are for suckers, to his probation hearing. Our office provides suits, shirts, ties, and dresses for clients to wear for jury trial. Often it takes a whole team of lawyers to, to persuade a black man to wear a shirt and a tie instead of gang colors. From time to time, the media report that although blacks are 12% of the population, they're 40% of the prison population. This is supposed to be an outrage that results from unfair treatment by the criminal justice system. What the media only hint at is another staggering reality. Recidivism. 
black men are arrested and convicted over and over. It's typical for a black man to have five felony convictions before the age of 30. This kind of record is rare among whites and Hispanics and probably even rarer among Asians. At one time, our office was looking for a motto that defined our philosophy. Someone joked that it should be, doesn't everyone deserve an 11th chance? <laughs> That's funny. I am a liberal. I believe that those of us who are able to produce abundance have a moral duty to provide basic food, shelter, and medical care for those who cannot care for themselves. I believe we have this duty, even to those who can care for themselves but don't. This worldview requires compassion and willingness to act on it. My experience has taught me that we live in a nation in which a jury is more likely to convict a black defendant who has committed a crime against a white. Even the dullest of blacks know this. There would be a lot more black-on-white crime if this were not the case. However, my experience also taught me that blacks are different by almost any measure to all other people. They cannot reason as well. They cannot communicate as well. They cannot control their impulses as well. They are a threat to all who cross their paths, black and non-black alike. I do not know the solution to this problem. I do know that it is wrong to deceive the public. Whatever solutions we seek should be based on the truth rather than what we would prefer was the truth. As for myself, I will continue to do my duty to protect the rights of all who need me. So there you have it, folks. What do you think? You know, I mean, the truth's the truth. And look, like everything else, it doesn't apply to everyone all the time. There are always exceptions. Okay, but you cannot discard the rule because there are some exceptions. All right, stereotypes become stereotypes for a reason, and that reason is because they are mostly true. Not for everybody all the time, but mostly true. Bottom line. And if you want to solve a problem, you are going to have to know the truth of the matter. Because if you just think that there's racism and injustice towards blacks, and that's the problem, whatever you do to solve it isn't going to work because it's not really the problem. Okay? That's like saying, well, you know, I've got cancer, so I think I'm going to put a Band-Aid on my forehead. Well, look, a Band-Aid on your forehead might be good if the problem was you've got a cut on your forehead. But it's not the correct solution for cancer, okay? If you don't identify the problem, there is no way to solve it. And if you misidentify the problem, you may make it even worse by trying to solve it because you're going after the wrong thing. Something to think about, folks, and, you know, there's no doubt we've got troubles in this country, and really, it's the upper 5% that's the problem. Anyway, it's Friday. Financial survival's coming up next. Stay right where you're at. Don't forget Spike Training on ABRN.TV this weekend. Good information that can maybe save your life or others. Better get prepared, folks. We got a rough ride coming. Anyway, thanks for listening. Can't put it out. Another day. I'm going to 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Friday, January 2nd, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh Hear that noise? I do. I'm polishing my crystal ball. Oh, we said we talk about predictions and uh, where we see 2015 going today. So I got it. I dug out my old crystal ball and <laughs> polishing it up. Do you have yours? Sounds like a good idea. And one thing we can say for sure on Wednesday, on a Wednesday program, Tuesday program, we predicted that we would either do predictions on Friday or Monday. And then we settled on Friday. And so our first prediction is right on, Melody. Hey, we're we good. Predict, we'd be doing predictions on Friday, and sure enough, we are. We're good. Mm. I know we're good. But gold today was better, and um, we have gold at eleven eighty-eight, up four dollars and forty cents. <coughs> Excuse me. We had a low of eleven sixty-seven. Opened uh, um, up down when it op- when the markets opened up this morning. 
uh, gold took a dive. That was weird about and and, and and the Dow was up strong, and then it took a little bit of reversal a couple hours into trade, and, and gold turned around, shot up, and hit 11.95, and the stock market was down triple digits. And of course, uh, here at the end, uh, for the last couple hours of trade, you saw the Dow come back up above uh, into positive territory, and uh, gold just held steady at uh, this level up 440 at 11.88. Silver was up nine cents. We saw the same thing. We had a low of 1547. Not as drastic to the downside as gold, but uh, to the upside, it was 1616 for the high. And uh, currently, 15.88 for silver. Platinum was down four at 1205. Palladium down two at 799. USDX today, big number today. 0.85 on the index, 91.11, 91.11. Crude oil down 0.61 at 52.66. And the paper markets today, as I mentioned before, the Dow was down triple digits, uh, turned around, and now we have a 10-point gain, 17,832. The NASDAQ was down nine. At 47.26, S&P just basically unchanged. 2058, 10-year yield down 0.05 at 2.12%. So, the Dow and, the, and, and the Dow was down, what, 160 points on Wednesday. The last day of trade, which was Wednesday, was down 160 points. So, um Interesting. That's very interesting, and especially the dollar going up 0.85 or thereabouts to breach over 91 on the U.S. dollar index. Getting into that, we'll talk about predictions on that when we get a little deeper into the program, unless you want to do it right now. What's going to happen? Do you want to do it right now? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let you lead. Al. All right. Well, as long as we're on, let's do it. Where do you think? What do you think is going to happen in the U.S. dollar index? In 2015, are we going to end the year with the dollar even higher on the U.S. dollar index, or are we going to see a return, a fall in the dollar index? Where do you think it's going to go? Well, I've read some reports, and there are some predictions that the dollar will actually go higher. It could touch on one, and maybe even go above that. I think that's. and what we mean by one, you mean 100, 100. on the dollar index. Correct, correct. And, I mean, I do believe that's very much a possibility at the way the market is going now, the, what we've seen in the last six months. But I truly believe by the end of 2015, you will see a lower dollar. And I'm not saying it's going to crash and burn, but I do believe we could see levels back down into the uh, – you know, low 80s, low 70s, but I don't think this is the year where, you know, it, it uh, our debt gets wiped out in our currency. Uh, could be. Uh, we do a have lot, the... It's just irrational. It's, it defies what we see in the U.S. dollar index right now is evidence of deflation. We didn't even use the word deflation a year ago. No one was talking about the possibility of deflation. It was not... I won't say no one, but it was not... You know, a popular term. The term was almost unknown a year ago, and right now, it's hard to read articles that don't 
on the deal with the economic system, monetary system, and so but don't talk about deflation. And if the dollar continues to rise on the U.S. dollar index, it's a signal. It's, the dollar is stronger. It means the dollar has more purchasing power. You get more bang for the buck is what it comes down to. But it is contrary to at least 50 years of policy at the Federal Reserve and the United States government to cause inflation, 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 and continue. And it's part of the reason why, as you hear in our, in our commercials on the program, the value of the dollar is, uh, is, has reduced to just a few cents compared to an ounce of gold back in 1933, 19, even 1971, followed forward. Um, the dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power to inflation. This has been going on through your lifetime and mine, and it's been going on persistently, consistently. This is government policy. It's not where we had little inflation and we had a little deflation and a little inflation, little deflation. They have not balanced out for 50 years or thereabouts. We have had persistent inflation, and the only reason you can, ex the only way you can explain that is this has been government policy. And yet, in the last six months, the government has allowed the dollar to deflate dramatically, at least as measured on the U.S. dollar index. Now, this is. A big story, but it's still inexplicable, at least to me. What is the government up to? Why are they allowing this to? Why are they allowing this apparent deflation to take place? Well, you also have to ask yourself, how much do these currency markets? I mean, their currency markets is a huge, huge market, and you have to ask yourself, how much does that impact the price in, in, in the, the index versus government policy? So how much of an impact does that really have? So we're—I mean, again, it's just a market where it's—it's—it's it's, it's not real. I mean, there isn't anything real in any of the numbers that are produced. We get There's lies the by the government. We get lies from the government. We get lies from Wall Street. We get lies from everywhere else. So uh, you have to ask yourself, how much do the markets really? And we know that once the USDX gets to a certain high level, you know that sucker's going to be shorted all the way down. And, you know, it's going to fall. I mean, just like they did to the euro. We don't know where the euro is standing right now. That hit a four-year low uh, uh, today or yesterday in their markets. It hit a four-year low. In relation to the dollar. And in relation to the dollar, yes. Which is more evidence of dollar so, deflation. If they hit so, again, the low, we hit a four-year high in relation to the euro. But when you have currency manipulations like we know they do so right. well, you're going to see the euro start coming back in the euro. And all it is is a bunch of billionaires making more money in these markets. And, uh, you know, Wall Street is basically controlling it. So I would think by the end of next year, you'd probably see the dollar index floating between 75 and 81. That's what I predict. Well, I don't have a prediction for where the dollar's going, but... I'd like to see it become rational, all right? And I'd like to be, I would at least like to understand. I predict that by the end of the year, I'm going to understand what exactly they're doing with the dollar by allowing this apparent deflation. Deflation is historically a hallmark of an economic depression. Right? When yeah, the currency goes into deflation, the economy typically goes into depression. Why are they allowed? Do they want a depression? 
Is that what they want? Do they want the U.S. economy to fall into depression? Do they want the global economies to fall into a depression? What is it they're doing here? Yeah, I think what people try to figure out is what's happening from day to day and so forth to try to make the big picture make sense. Mm -hmm. I think you have to work backwards. You have to look at the big picture and see what the end game is. We know what the end game is, and all these little steps along the way, because the markets and everything are so you know, manipulated and based on lies and, and created on, I mean, it, on just confidence and, and deception. feeling and deception, yeah. you can't understand what's going on today to day. You have to look at the big picture, know what that outcome is, know that we're heading there no matter what, and it all started back way back when, when they started with fiat currencies, mm. we knew we would be here today, and we know where we're going to be tomorrow. It's just you can't understand inner workings because, uh, you know, when you have governments well, you say, you say we know where we'll be tomorrow. You mean sometime in the future. In the future. And the big picture you're talking about is that the end result, the end result fiat is dollar is going to one way or another, it's going to die. Exactly. exactly. As all other fiat currencies have throughout history, with the exception of a handful that have been recently, that have been and that's installed what the, um, in recent history, and they have not yet collapsed, but it, it, it appears inevitable that they will. And that's the big picture you're talking about. The end result, now the fiat currencies fold up and uh, disappear, and then what? Those and, gold or silver are going to be happy campers. And that's what's wrong with investors today. That's what's wrong with people who own gold and silver, and they get so discouraged by the price, they either don't buy more, they sell out, they go into paper investments, they're not accumulating like they should, they don't have their portfolios positioned properly, because they're trying to figure out, as Wall Street does, more on a day-to-day basis. But they're not looking at the big picture. If investors of gold and silver looked at the big picture, they would get it. Well, the big picture Instead is also. Instead of letting these influences confuse and then you're making that picture more of a puzzle that's not together. Well, the problem is the time frame. When we talk about the big picture, we're talking True. about longer term, and we are comparing what you're comparing are people who look back and they say, long term, dollars got to go. There's other people that are speculating and sitting back and saying, wait a second, what about between now and next Monday? I think I can make a fast buck by betting that the price of gold is going up or that the price is going down. And I can do it, and they are speculators, not investors, speculators and essentially gamblers. Um, It's it's one of these things that is – you know, it gets you talking to yourself. And that's why we do talk radio. And And that's the beauty of gold and silver. If you understand, truly understand the fundamentals, you buy it and you hold it. And you hold it until the time because we know these problems are just going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger until that weight is so huge that even the system won't be able to continue. Well, that's and I don't think it's that far again. away. I understand. We've got some, some people say there's a couple of quadrillion dollars in derivatives that are out there. That can't possibly be paid. National debt is too great to ever possibly be paid. <laughs> and it's not just in this country. Countries around the world are buried in debt, can't be paid. Inevitably, the only solution out of there is you either repudiate all of that debt, just say, sorry, we can't pay it, or you cause massive inflation in order to pay that debt off with much cheaper 
dollars or euros or whatever other currency, fiat currency you intend to use. Either way, whether they go to debt repudiation or they go to massive inflation in order to minimize the debt, diminish the debt, even get rid of the debt, when that happens, people who are holding gold are going to be in a wonderful position compared to those people that are hanging on to what may become worthless or nearly worthless pieces of paper. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, now, everyone looks at this. I think everyone can even agree that what I just said is correct. The question is, when? Okay. It's like you can sit back and make some of these predictions. You can make predictions like <laughs> one day the sun is going to explode and consume the earth. Well, maybe so, but when? Right? If it's going to happen tomorrow, that's important news. If it's going to happen a year from now, if it's going to happen millions of years from now, well, it's interesting information. And that's where we get caught in these things, you know, the question of when. And that's where we really do need that crystal ball, Melody. Well, mine says for the USDX by the end of next year, and it is. We, we talk about, I talk about annual predictions because I think anything – you know, monthly or quarterly or anything like that is just too hard to, to, to determine. You know, unless there is something that is actually being created. We have the debt ceiling. Okay, that's March 15th coming up. You remember a year ago they just extended it. It was like, oh, you don't tell us about what, what you're spending. We'll figure it out next year. I mean, all these little things could have little impacts as we go along. Obamacare. Hey, everybody has to be compliant. It's in full force this year for all these corporations. How are they going to react? How are these other people going to react? They have to go and get their premiums. So you have all these things that are working in the system that can change any one of these uh, predictions and, and thoughts as we go along. And, and that's why we bring in so to sit here and make predictions for, you know, next month or, or you know, two months or something like that, you know, that's why all these people are wrong. And, uh, and the ones that do, you know, so, uh, and, you know, you look at the U.S. dollar so strong, it's killing the world. I mean, you have uh, uh, companies in a lot of these emerging markets uh, that are getting slammed because they sold their bonds and dollars. Now they're facing even higher costs. So when are these countries going to say, hey, enough? They have to repay their debts. They have to repay their bonds. And they, they took them out in dollars, and now they have to repay them in more expensive dollars. So they're saying, hey, I mean, how long and how before they're destroyed and they decide, well, we're going to do something to retaliate. We're going to do something to, you know, hurt the U.S. like they're hurting us with a stronger dollar when they don't have to have the stronger dollar. It's being done, I believe, intentionally. So however that dollar is getting up there, it's being done intentionally. We just can't figure out. Um, One thing about fiat currencies, and I think I might have talked about this last Tuesday. Let's do it again. One thing about fiat currencies is that they are inherently immoral. And the reason I say that is because you're either going to be in a state of inflation or you're going to be in a state of deflation, but they don't hold their value. Fiat currencies don't hold their value, which means if you are a borrower during a period of inflation, you get to rob the creditor. On the other hand, if you were a borrower during a period of deflation when the dollar is growing more valuable, the, the creditor gets to rob the borrower. The point is there is an element of immorality and theft, theft that's inherent in every fiat currency. It's part of their nature. It's part of the reasons people can need to think, do we really need 
fiat currencies? Do we really want them? Let's take a break for some commercial announcements. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Searstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three www.thepowerherbs.com. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Okay, folks, I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on our first program of the new year. That's right. Yes. Yes. I wrote three checks today to clients. 2015, didn't air. <laughs> You'll get past it. Wait till next week. Wait till next week. Yeah, you think? Yeah, you'll be, what year is this? 
to a six-month low of 55.5 from 58.7 in November. And uh, the reading in October had reached a three-year high. And, of course, we know that any figures above 50 indicate growth. And um, uh, But the economists were expecting 57.5. And what did they actually get? We got 55. Ooh. I don't even know. You know, you... You know, again, it's like it's again, it's a short term. But it's another Does anybody even know what these numbers are? Are the numbers actually accurate? Fifty-five. Do they make them up, or are they fifty-five, fifty-three, fifty-seven? Is anyone making these up, or are they? Do they reflect some sort of reality? That's part of the problem you have. But Al, you still have to look at these numbers because they do show some sort of a trend, and that's what we try to base it on these numbers, whether they're real or fictitious is to see if they're trend and how they match with everything else. And that's how you figure out if they're lying or if they're not, and if they're true or close to true. So, um, you know, you do have to uh, see it's a sign, just like the Baltic Dry Index is a, is a signature. Big one. That one I don't think they can falsify. falling down. I no, think they can falsify anything. No, they can falsify anything. But uh, it's still, you look at the trend going month to month. So now we're seeing it as a downtrend. We'll see what it is the next time to see if it continues in the downtrend, and it will give you an over uh, an overall idea of the of the. Uh, well, it's I mean, you, you know, you got to explain to people what the Baltic Dry Index is. Some people may not know exactly what we're talking about. You want to explain it, or you want me to? Go ahead. It's just a measure of how much shipping is taking place in global commerce. All right, how many how many tons of material are being shipped from one country to another by sea? All right, that's essentially what they measure. And the last time I looked at the Baltic Dry Index, it was just a couple percent, five percent, something like that, compared to what it was a f ten years ago, uh, six years ago. Right. It, it, when the economy, when the global economy is hot, the Baltic Dry Index is high. And when the economy is cooled off and on the verge of or perhaps already in a depression, the Baltic Dry Index is low. Nobody's shipping anything. Why? Because nobody's buying anything. They don't buy things. They can't produce things. You know, this is, this is for, for me, this is one indicator that while anything can be falsified, this is one that I don't think is falsified to a significant degree because very very few people know what it is or follow it. I mean, they'll falsify the price of gold all day. The Baltic Dry Index, the average person doesn't even know what it is. It's not necessary. It isn't necessary to falsify it to the same degree that it may be necessary to falsify the price of gold. So... But here is just one idea when you ask what do those numbers mean. I mean, here what what it tells me is when you have the the numbers that the government makes up that they released on the GDP where it grew 4.6%. Well, how does that happen when you have your manufacturing contracting? It doesn't. Yeah, so, again, it, it shows people, people who don't understand, these are the numbers that you can show people and say, this doesn't make sense. How can you have something grow so much and have contracting in in, in, in Manufacturing, it doesn't work. So again, it, it's proof. Unless it, it's proof unless that they're lying. Very, unless you have a very warm winter, right? Very cold, cold winter, winter last year. That did some bad things. This year, maybe a very warm winter will do some good things. Hard to say, but it really is frustrating. 
it would be it wouldn't bother me to make predictions to come to particular ideas that I believe are true and maybe be mistaken about them. People make mistakes, you do the best you can. But when you are being intentionally deceived with a mass of false information and you're trying to make sense of it, that bothers me. Because now you're in a situation like playing poker with a deck of uh, 250 cards. There could be five people in the same poker hand that come up with five aces. You know, I mean, what, what kind of game is this? It becomes strange, frustrating, and again, it takes you back. Fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. All right, we can't look at, if we can't trust the details that are being reported on an almost daily basis, then we have to look back for fundamentals, and we have to guard ourselves on that basis. Um, the GPS numbers coming in may not be exactly correct for navigating our ship. What do we have to do? Somebody's got to get a compass. So what point's true north? All right, it'll give us a clue where we're headed. We're going east, west, south. Where are we going? Look at the compass. We don't have the GPS numbers right now, or we can't trust them, but we can trust the compass. I've got a magnetized, and this thing's this is magnetic, and it points north. And all right, we know roughly. It gives us an idea. We've got a caller, Jim from West Virginia. Jim, what you got for us? Do you have any predictions? Oh, I have a commendation. I have okay. a commendation for bringing up the Baltic Dry Index. Hmm. Um, you know, there's all this talk, inflation, deflation, inflation. Um, you just look at individual markets. Like, for instance, when a depression comes along, I mean, you can have a depression whether you have inflation or not. You can have a hyperinflationary depression, that's true, with a fiat currency. I don't believe you can have a hyperinflationary depression with a, an actual asset-based currency like gold or silver. But I think the hyperinflationary depression is possible, made possible now because of the fiat currency. Bingo is probable. I'll tell you why. If we look just to our own country, we not have in the 1930s, okay? They cut the amount of money in circulation, currency in circulation, to create the depression because the big boys wanted to buy up industries that they could use to market us in World War II, okay? But the bottom line is it's more likely than not that you'll have an inflationary depression. Look at Zimbabwe. Look at the Weimar Republic. Because they were fiat currencies, uh, people are like, ah. So many times people think, oh, you have inflation, you have prosperity. No, you don't. But when you realize what has happened in other countries, you go from steak to hamburger to chicken and pork to beans and rice. Now, this was a bit of a harbinger to me. A fellow I know in West Virginia said, guess what? I went to the grocery store and they don't have any more rice. <laughs> You're kidding me. He said, no. Next day they had rice come in. But uh, then people go to beans and rice, which will give you protein. I'm already the beans and rice stage, folks. But for whatever reasons, you will see that occur. During the 1930s, there were like 100 and some car manufacturers in the 20s. It dropped down to a handful after that. Uh, the filthy rich bought cords like cars like Stutz Bearcats and cords and various other wondrous machines. A lot of the other people were left, well, good luck, make the old flavor go as long as possible. A lot of times what happens is this. 
uh, okay, I had that. I have an Atwater kit radio made in the 1920s, and it works great. Okay, believe it or not, it's called a bread box radio. Pricey thing, but they couldn't. I mean, they just couldn't survive the depression. But you can get these inexpensive radios by comparison. So every substitution you can think of is being made. Also, from other countries. Okay, let me give you another one from America. Okay, the manufacturers. Okay, merchants cannot move merchandise, so they deeply discount to get, get the move. Then they don't reorder. Then manufacturers go out of business. And whichever manufacturers left, he's got it made. But like one story out of the 1930s, the hinges of all things got Why did the manufacturers go out of business? Is it because they have not enough orders and not enough income to support them in a sense of just paying the help and making a profit? Or is it because they went too deep into debt and now they're getting caught by paying, they're being responsible for paying their debts off with more expensive dollars. Which do you think, I don't doubt both take place, but which do you think is predominant? Flip a coin. Yeah. And you know, if you're in debt, that'll put you under. If yeah. you're creating stuff which people don't need as much. Or, you one on. other point, one other point. If your debt will put you under, unless you have a special relationship with the Federal Reserve and it's possible for you to get credit when other companies cannot. Equal protection of the law of the bank. Equal protection of the law of the banking system is a joke. Now, so what happens is that, like for instance, during the depression, at one point, hinges were so darn expensive after everybody else went belly up that people were using pieces of leather for hinge for a garden gate, for instance. But every kind of substitution is made also from other countries. Well, let's say that, uh, okay, let's take Africa. They don't make any cars in Africa. So what happens all of a sudden, whoa, car parts go right through the roof. You see pictures of cars in third world countries where people simply could not afford to buy the part to fix the car, and so everybody would park the car out. These are the sort Now, the whole deal about the fiat currency is you can, I don't care what you call it, inflation, deflation. Jim, did we lose you? I think we have. Um, one way or another connection with Jim from West Virginia has been broken. All right, Melody, where shall we go from here? Oh, I want to go to someplace warmer. Uh-huh. Well, that's not that's not a, that's I can't not go there option. now. Not an option. But you got to wait another dinner. 20 minutes or so. And then if you want, yeah, but not right now. What's happening in the stock market? What do you think is going to happen in the stock market? Up, down, will we see? People have talked about a significant correction. They've talked about a correction that is statistically overdue for the stock market. Do you think we'll see that correction this year? And some people talk about a 30% fall in the stock market. Do you think that's possible, likely, unlikely? What do you think? Well, I think it's very possible. And also, as we're seeing with the stronger dollar, how it affects your your corporate uh, um your corporate reports. So, yeah, I, I think you'll see. If you look at the S and P, you have a lot of these, uh, a lot of their earnings. Uh, when they, they they turn their earnings into the stronger dollar, they're they're reporting less. So, I think yes, that will have an impact. I mean, it's like these markets are just defying gravity. And uh, if you look at these indexes, how much they've risen over a period of time, um, it, I just don't think it's sustainable. And that's just risen. That's just risen over a period of time, but risen in part 
because Janet Yellen recently she used the word patience, and the market jumped. Yeah. But she cares, for God's sake, if she uses a word, a word. <laughs> I mean, this is like this is like ibbity bobbity boo. We had to dress her up like the good fairy in Cinderella or something like that, and she can turn our pumpkins into carriages and our mice into horses, and we can all parade around as if we're rich. Apparently, we're going to break for a couple of commercials, and I'm going to get my pumpkin, see if I can get Janet to turn it into a carriage. Melody and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Financial survival. What's next, Melody? Well, I just wanted to say uh, when we're talking about the stock market and, and what we see, what we will see, uh, you know, during this next year. And I, I believe it's just it, it can't defy gravity too much longer. We have the stronger dollar that's going to be hurting these corporations. Uh, you also have, you know, your S and P. I mean, you have companies that are buying back their own shares, and lots of times they do it with borrowed money. Uh, so that's helped keeping the markets higher. And uh, you also have the problems. I mean, it's one thing if you had, we see the problems Russia has, 
and there was a contagion. You know, back in the late 90s, you saw the the Asian contagion. But the things are different now. I mean, you have all these emerging mar- emerging markets that are so much a bigger part of the world economy today, and sometimes their 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 debts to their GDPs is huge. So they do have an impact. And so when something it's much more severe when these countries have their problems. We have Greece coming up this month with their elections. How is that going to impact um, um, the European markets? All but already you, you hear the language, the talk, that uh, they're not going to have a problem, um, that the, um, the Syriza will not uh, be elected already. They're downplaying that scenario. So um, it's hard to believe that uh, the stock markets will be at these levels next year at this time. Well, it's one of those things where you look at it, and they may be at these levels, but if they are, it's because they are artificially manipulated. I don't believe they will be at these levels Well, it may be. It may be, but what I'm saying is the only way they're going to be is if they are artificially manipulated. There was a time 50 years ago, if you studied economics, in a sense it was relatively simple. You looked at a graph that had supply on one side, demand on the other side, and a line going up at a 45-degree angle to indicate something about price. All right, we balance supply. Well, economics was fairly simple. It wasn't, I don't mean it really was, it was presented as something simple. Today it's presented as the springs and the gears that make up a sophisticated chronometer. Everything is going click, 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 click. And they're turning and rotating, and one thing going clockwise, the other one is going counterclockwise, and we've got a gear to run the second hand and another one to run the minute hand, another one to run the hour hand. And the whole thing has become so incredibly complicated. You have to really wonder, does anyone really know what's going on? It was simpler 50 years ago. I don't mean it was simple, but it was simpler. There is such a word. Is there a word simple er ability, or is it just there a, is today? Uh-huh. Today, today <laughs> with this, with this one time only, we have the word simpler, right? And if you wanted to hear it, you had to be here. Uh, but it's the whole thing is because it's so complex that I don't know that anyone really knows what's going on, and it's also so complex that some people are in positions to manipulate what's happening with all these gears if they can just keep the price of the Dow Jones at a certain level. They can perhaps offset. Who can say what they're doing in that complexity? We may not understand the whole system anymore. At one time when they were able to manipulate small parts of the system in a way that are as As the system grew, they had some degree of fundamentals underneath it. They're done today. No, they're absolutely not. There's absolutely no way the stock market will be at this level a year from now. Am I saying it's going to 6,000? No, I'm not saying that, but it will not be at this level next year. You don't think it will be higher, and you think it will be lower next year? It will absolutely. I mean, they're going to have to pull the biggest rabbit out of their hat for it to go higher than what it is today. to re- keep it at these levels or higher. So Maybe they could pull here. a rat out of their hat and just put big floppy ears on the rat. That's the rat. It's yeah. the rat. That's the year of the rat. No. I'm not sure if this is the year it's, of the rat. It's, it's, Chinese. It's, it's the rat that's pulling the rabbit. Well, maybe so. Rat. What's next? 
believe we got a caller. I believe Jim was able to get back. Oh, Jim. Yeah, they always flip my phone when I want to call into radio shows. I'm serious. Anyway, inflation, deflation, I apologize for my voice. They're relative terms. The currency well, let's, is let's inflation. Say, let's, say that, let's talk about predictions. Okay, because this, well, do you have predictions for this coming year? Oh, predictions? Uh, very simple. Uh, we're going to see more waves of the crash. The first wave is this deal with the oil industrial materials going to pieces. We're going to see food go through the ceiling this year because of a variety of factors I won't get into. They've driven the farmers out. It was quite interesting to find out there was no rice at a particular store in West Virginia. We're going to see an awful lot of layoffs. We're going to see people's hours cut right and left because businesses make decisions to expand or contract, depending on projections. And anybody in their right mind will see that a lot of things are going to go to pieces. Right? Look at everything, and then they will say, well, before we get into trouble, we better lay off some more people. So you're going to see downsizing everywhere. I love Melody's reference to different things like all fewer government schools being produced. If you look at these individual parts uh, of the sector's economy, that helps greatly, particularly if you correct for inflation. 11% down on Black Friday, well, add 6%, let's say, for inflation, overall inflation. That's 17% down. We're going to see more of the same. People stop buying for Christmas. The, the disposable stuff, anybody in the disposable income business, for instance, four-wheelers, ATVs, their business is way down. So just watch the whole thing crumble a little at a time, a little sector at a time. But I don't know if we're going to have a flash crash or not. But you guys are doing good. But the more attention you pay to individual markets as opposed to just the currencies, I think we're better off. All right, Jim. Thank you. Appreciate Thank the you, call. Thank you, Jim. Talk to you, uh, Thank you. maybe next week. Uh, God bless. God bless. What else have we got here, Melody? Here's something. What about the oil? What about the price of oil? Uh, Is it going to continue to decline, or can we expect expect oil to bounce back here over the course of the next several months? Going to be higher or lower by the end of the year? Where do you think it's going to be? Oil? Yep, crude oil. That's the toughest one of all to call because, I mean, if you look around the world, if we talk about things that are going to be dropping, certainly the demand is going to be falling. Uh, there's no true, no, you know. So it just depends, you know, is OPEC really going to cut back? Even if they cut back their production, does that mean the oil price is going to rise? Not necessarily. No. It means. I yeah, that's right. I think you could possibly still see it go lower. I don't think anybody really knows where the bottom is at. But I think next year at this time, I think we will experience, I don't know, I think you could see, it's really hard to call, 50, uh, maybe well, 70, 80. I think it'll be higher. You think it'll be higher? I think it'll be higher. I'm inclined to think it's higher, and I'm going to tell you why, because I think if it doesn't go higher, we're going to see some profound, adverse economic consequences. We're going to see the energy sector Energy businesses are going to be collapsed if they can't make a profit. We're going to see a lot of businesses go out of business. We're going to see countries that are 
OPEC countries, for example, that produce virtually all of their income, in at least many of them, is derived from oil. And when the price of oil falls by already we're 50% down in the last six months or thereabouts, if it falls further, these countries are going to go out of business. I, there's potential for revolution, shooting revolutions. There's potential for collapse and instability and so on. There are, and these people are not likely to cut production at this time. Even though it makes sense if you sit back and say, well, let's all cut production and then the price will go up. Well, these people are so desperate right now that they almost don't dare to cut production. They're going to produce every, ga every gallon of crude they can, even if they have to sell it a nickel a gallon. Well, here's the, They're I have, desperate for income. Here's another theory for you, Al. Maybe we truly are closer to a World War III, and maybe this drop in the oil prices is to adjust for what will happen to oil if we get into a World War III in these countries. So why not hit it first? I mean, if oil stayed at uh, you know ninety dollars to a hundred, we went into World War Three. All of a sudden, you're looking at two hundred dollar oil. Now at this level, you're looking at a hundred to a hundred and twenty. We've been there, done that. So it won't have the same psychological impact, I guess, or even. Now, if you go into a real world war, the price of oil is as if you want psychological impact. That's not going to be. That's not going to be any. But perhaps I mean this just popped. This just popped into my mind, so I'm thinking, well, maybe the the real reason behind the big drop in oil and the reason uh, the Saudis aren't cutting production is this is one of the next steps. And um, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt people that are involved in the oil production business. It's going to hurt nations. But you're going to see gonna sky high prices in oil. <laughs> well, one of these days, perhaps. If there was a World War Three, you'd I, see major I, prices in oil. Particularly, I mean, we don't hear what's going on in Iraq. We don't hear all the things that are going on. They've they basically cut out the the news coming from this area. So, well, I don't see I don't see extraordinary prices in oil happening except in the context aftermath of something like a world war. In those circumstances, yeah, that's possible. But other than that, and even that, it's a little bit suspect. It could go up dramatically. We could see a big spike, but I think the spike would be temporary because the problem is the powers that be, the oil is all around. It's in the ground. And if the price goes high enough, you're going to be you're going to set up a well in your backyard out there in Pennsylvania, Melody. I mean, looking for oil. And anybody can do it if the price is high enough. And I don't think they control, I don't think the powers that be control the land to the extent that might be necessary to really sustain super high prices. Competition will be pumping. We will be. Competition will keep the price of oil rational even in the aftermath of war, although not immediately. First up, big spike. Later, competition will drive the price down. Uh, so what's the point to all of this? Uh, perhaps that the world is just increasingly chaotic. I think one of the predictions you can pretty much make right now is that the only thing anyone can really do is guess about what might be coming. Uh -huh. Economics, the whole idea behind economics is that it is a predictive study, a predictive science. And the reason we study the Great Depression 
1929. So we study that to figure out, hmm, if we get into the same circumstances again, this is what will probably work. This is probably not what will work. And we study it to figure out what's going to happen this year, next year, five years from now. Economics is about predictions. It's not just about history. It's about using history in a scientific way to predict what's going to happen to our economy a year from now, two years from now. But our whole notion of economics has been stood on its head in part. Classical economics has been stood on its head, in my opinion, because classical economics was based on the idea that we would have a real money, gold and silver. Modern economics is based on using these paper debt instruments. We're not using assets. Classical economics is based on an asset-based currency or an asset-based money, and we are using a debt-based currency. I don't think the fundamental – I'm not convinced that the fundamental principles of economics, classical economics, even apply in a fiat monetary system. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Some do, some don't. I'm not sure. I, I can't tell you for sure. But there's a strong probability that our system of economics, our knowledge of economics, may not even be appropriate for a world that's dominated by a fiat currency. There are different principles at stake here. Um, if we can't predict what's going to happen with economics, if it's no longer a reliably predictive science. We can see what's happening, but what's going to happen? I don't think we can see that. And what that tells me is we are in an era of chaos. We are in an era of instability. We are in an era of potential danger. And in the capacity of that danger, you're going to want to do what? You're going to get back to fundamentals. You better get some food, better get some guns, better get some ammunition, better get some gold, better get some silver. What? You've got to protect yourself from the future. If we can't adequately predict the future, then we have to prepare in a different way. You can't just rely on guesses. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstone. I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye.
AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Fighting soldiers from the sky, fearless men who jump and die, men who mean just what they say, the brave men of the Rainbow Ray. All right, everybody, you are tuned in correctly, accurately, American Voice Radio program is Freedom Call. I'm your host. My name is Bo Greitz. What I have to speak to you about today 
is uh, most serious, they think, oh, I don't uh, understand you clearly. Uh, it seems like everything is all right. Uh, all the consumers were happy uh, with uh, the way we spent our money uh, on Christmas. Uh, we have a new Congress now that is a conservative Congress and the House of Representatives, and uh, very close to having uh, probably what would at least be a draw in the U.S. Senate. And so, what is the problem? Well, uh, here is the problem we are not following the law. I'm talking about the supreme law of the land. I'm talking about that in uh, two different uh, arenas. First of all is the Constitution. In the Constitution, the U.S. Congress is supposed to control the coinage of the United States, make it available to us, be responsible for the accounting, give us uh, a budget, and the executive branch is to manage that. Now, what has happened is that because banks are greedy, and you look at the history of the world, and if you want to try to focus a little bit more, then let's just take uh, Europe, European history of the world, and you go back and uh, look at how there is rightly what you would call incest within the blue bloods that have ruled Europe. Uh, King George I, for example, which uh, was uh, the king of England, we fought our independence against King George III. Well, King George I was king of England, but he could not speak a word of English because he was German. But because of the intermarriage and the uh, hoping to purity and peace or gain power of the various uh, prince princesses uh, were sent abroad uh, within the continent of Europe over to England, and they intermarried, and then as uh, God would have it, circumstances and death, uh, the different ones took power from time to time, these blue bloods. Now, it's interesting that uh, the bank really didn't care who won the wars, who was in power, because they actually supplied the money to both sides. And conflict is an engine for banks uh, where countries spend money without accountability while they spend it. And so it goes back to before the American independence. 
independence, and you see in Frankfurt, Germany, there was a house uh, that was known as the Red Shield, uh, because and in German, uh, the Red Shield means Rothschild, and this uh, Rothschild was very clever because he dealt in coinage and coin collecting. He uh, had managed to befriend uh, a royalty. He was able uh, to uh, begin to be relied upon for uh, loans, for security, uh, for taking care of fiduciary matters of the entire country and then uh, continent. And so as uh, his, the Rothschild children, there were five brothers, as they grew, they, they all grew into their dad's business. And he farmed them out so that the uh, Red Cross the sign of the Red Cross, the Rothschild, uh, would manage the money uh, in Paris, manage it in Great Britain, and even extend the management into the United States. Now, the banks were doing uh, quite well, especially when it came to uh, financing armies as you remember in our own war for uh, independence, who were we fighting against? Well, we say we were fighting against the Redcoats. That's more accurate than saying we were fighting against the British. Now, King George III uh, certainly saw America as a colony, but because of the business aspects, because of the Rothschild and their uh, financial advising, the House of Hesse, Germany, the House of Hanover, they were the ones who furnished the mercenaries who uh, came to the United States and we, uh, or America, the colonies in those days, and that's who we were fighting against, professional soldiers that were then paid uh, by Great Britain uh, through the House of Rothschild. There would be loans made and uh, payments secured, and everything seemed to get along just fine. And actually, according to the Rothschilds, they really didn't care whether uh, America won its independence. Uh, France, as you know, gave America a hand. Well, that's all right, because the Rothschilds in France uh, were doing nicely with the money situation. It was that uh, as if they had an exclusivity uh, on uh, nobody would deal with anyone else because they were so well connected. And so uh, whether they fanned the flames of war or whether they preferred uh, peace, it really mattered uh, little. And so we saw uh, through the War for American Independence, and then uh, we had this, uh, a Bill of Rights, 
by 1791. But uh, then the War of 1812, that's not much peace, broke out and went until 1815. Washington was razzed, uh, burned to the ground. Uh, then Old Hickory actually fought the Battle of New Orleans after the British had sued for peace. But the word didn't get around uh, quite that quick. And I'm not sure that Old Hickory would have paid much attention anyway. You had a whole lot of British uh, troops down there in New Orleans, and uh, Old Hickory uh, wanted that battle uh, to send them fleeing, and he got it. Well, uh, when we look at the Civil War, now there's nothing civil about it, so some prefer to call it the War uh, for Southern Independence, uh, others uh, call it the war between the states. It was the war wasn't fought over slavery. Lincoln's very clear about that. Said, uh, "Keep your slaves. Just don't uh, secede from the Union. Keep the Union together." General Grant, who was the commanding general for the Union Army, and the president, uh, following actually Andrew Johnson was a white slave. He was the vice president. That when Lincoln was assassinated, Andrew Johnson took over. But uh, Grant was uh, elected president. He made the statement while he was the general in charge of the Union Army, if I thought this war was about slavery, I would be on the other side. And uh, to show you uh, sort of uh, Abraham Lincoln, who is considered to be uh, one of the, the two greatest presidents, if we look at George Washington as actually being uh, the father of our country, then we oftentimes see Abe Lincoln uh, second in line. It was Abraham Lincoln who had a plan for uh, what was known as colored people, and uh, it, it's rather interesting, but the daughters of the revolution in Virginia paid for a country, Liberia, over in Africa. They bought, they created, sort of like the UN, this country, uh, to go hand-in-hand hand with Lincoln's uh, proposal and his plan uh, for the redistribution, the return of American blacks to Africa. And uh, the deal was, if you uh, wanted to go to Africa, then uh, you would have free land, would be free over there. And of course, um, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation issued during the uh, war between the states uh, was uh, freed the slaves just in the South. It didn't have the effect of the same thing in the North. Now, uh, they had to create uh, because uh, it wasn't the same with other, uh, quote, colored people. Chinese, for example, didn't have a problem. Uh, Mexicans, uh, brown people, didn't have a problem. Uh, Indians, uh, they had a sovereignty. There wasn't a problem. 
but it was with uh, American blacks that they literally created the United States Citizenship Four. Now they, uh, first of all, uh, slavery was outlawed way back in like 
Now, each state had uh, its own citizens. And as part of the Constitution, it was that uh, the states, while they were independent, were united, and each state had to look upon and honor uh, with uh, equal jurisdiction, equal power, equal rights, uh, all of the other states of the Union. So you had, uh, now like Texas, Texas is a republic. There are citizens of Texas. Now, if, and Texas didn't allow for all uh, colored type people. Now, in California, you have the Republic of California. All of these, interestingly, you have the Commonwealth, like of Virginia, for example. So these state citizens, uh, we is, it's kind of blurred now. We look upon uh, everyone as a U.S. citizen. And the thing that sort of ties us together uh, is the Social Security. Now, if you are not in the Social Security system, and I know people who are adults and have children, uh, now their children have become young adults themselves, who have never uh, joined the uh, United States as U.S. citizens. They are Americans. They have rights to travel among all states because this is part of the union. But they retain their state citizenship. And uh, there used to be nothing at all wrong with this. Now, if you, for example, uh, were not someone eligible to be a state citizen, then you could always claim your U.S. citizenship. But it didn't mean, and you could have dual citizenship. If you move later to a state that allowed, uh, under your special circumstance of immigration, allowed you to be a, a state citizen, you could be a state citizen and a U.S. citizen. The Social Security system has now they have, it's like a low-deal title, land tax, where your land, you don't pay any taxes on it. The government can never seize it. It is land that is yours in all uh, time, all perpetuity. That's the purpose of the BLM was to, as America acquired more land in the westward movement, in wars, in acquisitions, uh, Seward's Folly, the Louisiana Purchase, all this kind of stuff, that the Americans could buy their property and that that property was in a low-deal title. Well, now, uh, the if you talk to a real estate person who's just graduated real estate school, they don't know what a low-deal title is. But on this program, I have given you examples of in recent times. And one example was Anna Inman, 
93, who lives here in Sandy Valley, and uh, she was being thrown off her land by uh, Junior Mini-Me Bush's BLM, and uh, that's when I got involved. I looked at the maps, and I looked at uh, the deeds, and I saw something uh, peculiar about Anna Inman's property. There was a little box around it. When I checked the margin of the map, it said land patent. Well, now, land patent and a low-deal title are synonyms. They mean the same thing. And so I knew that uh, Anna was making some mistakes. First of all, Anna was paying the BLM uh, to lease her own property. She was paying taxes. The government thought that it had uh, the right of eminent domain. They were taking Anna Inman's land away from her with armed agents, told her within 30 days you got to reclaim this land and be off of it. The current head of the U.S. Uh, BLM, Bureau of Land Management, is named Robert Abbey. Robert Abbey went to Senator Ensign, who was in trouble for walking on his foreskin, but he's still a senator in the state of Nevada. We met in his office, and I uh, looked at Abbey, because Anna Inman was there, and I said, uh, Director, you know that Anna Inman's property is a land patent. Looked at me, and you could kind of see the spirit go out of his eyes. He said, yes, I'm aware of that, though. And I said, under a land patent, you have no right of eminent domain. Uh, you know, she has been wrong in paying you money for lease. That uh, land is hers forever, and she can pass it on. And he said, I understand that, though. And so Mr. Abbey uh, put a special zone around Anna Inman's property. When Obama was elected, uh, they changed everybody's name. Uh, you know, sounded uh, much more politically correct. Uh, and uh, I, they came after Anna Inman's property. Well, the same day that they came after her property, Obama had to appoint <laughs> Mr. Robert Abbey because he couldn't just make a czar. you got to have some brains uh, to run the BLM. There are millions of square miles that belong to the federal government, most of the West. And so uh, Robert Abbey was made uh, the uh, national director of BLM. And that same day we met again, and only this time with Obama's people, only we met uh, in the same U.S. Senator Republican's office. Uh, still, he's in trouble for walking on his foreskin. Uh, I was told that Robert Abbey was just uh, reappointed, and I looked at the manager of BLM for Nevada, and I said, is there any reason for this meeting? And he said, no. He recognized instantly. He knew cannot take land away that is properly titled. Now, fee simple is feudal, and almost all the land in America is at what? 
the pleasure of the king. That's what all this feudal stuff was about. The king didn't like you anymore. He come in and took it over. The right of eminent domain, they just take it over. The right of taxation. If you don't pay everything or do everything, they come out and take your land away. So the reason that I'm sort of getting into this, I'm leading up to something uh, that uh, you must recognize. So it's, it's nothing new, but I'm trying to put it together so you will fully understand it. So please, on this Friday, be patient with me. I'll try to you know, get this thing done as quickly as I can and, and get the, the hard news out to you. So you're listening to American Voice Radio, and the voice you're hearing is uh, for Freedom Call, and it's from me, Bo Greitz, and I'll be right back with you. survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare, while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the freeze-dry guide today freeze-dry-guy at landset.com. That's freeze-dry-guy at l-a-n-s-e-t dot com or call 530-265-8333 530-265-8333 and let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. Beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. 
Over spring and summer, process only the ocean breezes and sunshine. The brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of glyphosodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
control loans and are foreclosing. Now, I've told you, we set an all-time record. There is 1,618,000 bankruptcies this last year, in, in a year. Well, that's more than has ever been before in the history of the United States. And there is 1,060,000 foreclosures where banks have gone in and says, get out of the house, we're taking it back. Then it says there, the house is not for sale, it says house, bank owned. And you all kind of things that were out for me. But here we are. I'm trying to uh, get you to open your mind to this concept of the little house in Frankfurt, Germany, back uh, in the early, uh, well, back in the 17th century, that had a red cross on it. And so uh, people uh, that got interested in uh, in this family, uh, they would say, how do I get to the place with the Red Cross, the Rothschild? Oh, yes. Uh, and so uh, they would uh, direct them in Frankfurt to the house with the Red Cross. Well, that banking mindset where they control the currency of the world. At that time, it was a control the currency of Germany, control the currency, oh yeah, now of England and of France and of Italy, of Spain and Belgium and Norway and the Nordic countries and the Scandinavian countries. Now, all of a sudden, you say, well, let's uh, reach across uh, the ocean. We'll control the currency, and the credit of the United States. Oh, uh, they did. And it hasn't been that long ago. All of this under one family. Now, I've uh, got a book. It's an interesting book. I recommend it to you. It's called Our Crowd. It is the story of Jewish banking, uh, a friend of mine on my team named Gary Goldman. Uh, Goldman was very proud of how his people had, uh, when they first um, immigrated to the United States, uh, they were prevented by Puritan law uh, from working. Now, and how does this happen? Well, you have Spain and you got Portugal. All right, now. Uh, they're Catholic, and so they actually physically run the Jews out of Europe. Jews can't be in there. So where do they go? Well, they uh, go to Brazil. A lot of uh, Jewish people immigrated to Brazil. Now, what happened to Brazil? Portugal took over Brazil. So what happens to the Jewish people now? Well, they came to New Amsterdam. Well, uh, where in the heck is that? 
That is what uh, New York is called uh, in the old days. Under the Puritans, it was New Amsterdam. But a lot of our people, it was more free uh, over there uh, than with the Dutch. Amsterdam, it was easier to come even than it was to England. You could go from England uh, to the Netherlands and then come from the Netherlands to the United States uh, easier than you could from England to the U.S. And so they call New York City New Amsterdam. So the Brazilian Jews that were run out of there, they settled. Well, the Puritan law you couldn't go to Yale or Harvard unless you signed a loyalty to Yeshua Messiah. It's the Christ. You couldn't uh, be uh, in an office. You couldn't right now. Look how many Jewish people that we have in the administration and uh, who are in the Congress, U.S. Senate, who are governors. Wow. But see, then you could not serve in government if you were not Christian. And uh, so, and this is back when the swans uh, had found this beautiful, wonderful nesting place. And so, uh, what happened? Well, you could, how did they live? You could do business as long as it was international business. So, uh, a lot of Jewish people they began to involve themselves uh, in enter and how what does that mean? That means see they didn't have airplanes and they are right there on the east coast, so it means you're not running uh, you know a lot of uh, wagon trains uh, even to the west, or you're not dealing in uh, cotton unless it's by ship. So uh, a lot of the slavers, for example back and look at the history of slaving, uh, you don't find white uh, people going to uh, Africa, let's say West Africa, for example, and uh, Nigeria, is a, a lot of slaves came from Nigeria. You don't see white people going to Nigeria and running through the bushes uh, and uh, tackling or shooting or roping uh, black slaves. What happened is the dominant tribes of people in Africa would capture people of lesser strength, power, and influence, and then they would sell them to the slavers who would put them on ships and ship them back. And, of course, in the south, uh, you had a, an agrarian uh, culture. They dealt in textiles. And in the north, uh, it was different. Uh, they dealt in factories, manufacturing. And so you got to have clothes and that kind of stuff. So uh, the Europe would pay for than uh, the northern states to uh, the southern uh, cotton dealers. And, uh, of course, then you could have Jewish people 
uh, take the cotton and make those kinds of deals uh, from uh, places uh, like South Carolina and along the coast there in Florida and uh, ship the uh, textiles to Europe. And uh, so everybody was happy with that except the North. Uh, they wanted to be able uh, to pay less, pay as much as the Europeans. So there we have a reason and I'll give you the reason, even though it wasn't uh, cut and dried, but a major reason of the war between the states is because of all of the presidents, had, and this was not something the Congress, because see, the North had tremendous influence uh, in the Congress. They had more representatives than the South. So uh, it was very easy for them to... Uh, say, uh, well, you are going to have to pay a tariff uh, on this cotton that you're going to export to Europe uh, since this cotton is needed in the north and uh, we don't want to pay uh, as much as Europe will. So it's going to cost you. Well, the uh, Southern uh, Congress, I mean, they just, the Southerners didn't have the votes. So the North, uh, uh, they would up the tax on the South to export cotton goods. And the presidents are the people who kept the tariffs reasonable. Otherwise, the Northern Congress would have had 50%, 100% tariff uh, to gain control of Southern textiles. So the uh, agreed on amount was 20%. The old hickory was there, 20%. Well, 20% is quite a bit, but it was the agreed amount. Well, Abe Lincoln uh, had made an agreement that if he were elected president of the United States, he would increase this. He would, And he wouldn't do it himself. He would allow Congress. He wouldn't veto it. And so that's when uh, South Carolina, Florida said, if Abe Lincoln wins, the day he wins, we secede from the Union. And, of course, everything, now remember, everything now is under control of the Rothschild Banking uh, Consortium. And so I was just telling you, the and how this thing got to be case of a people, you know, Jews have got to make a living, and if they couldn't go to Yale or Harvard or they couldn't serve in government, they could deal in foreign trade. And so that uh, the it was actually a three-legged. It was alcohol, sugar, and slaves. And that's why in the Caribbean, you see the rum comes from there, the sugar comes from there. And as late as, uh, you know, the 50s when Castro ran Batiste out, well, Pepsi-Cola was in line for all that sugar. The mafia ran <laughs> the, the illegal activities in the casinos 
there in uh, in Cuba. So when you look at it, uh, is there a good side uh, to communism? Well, it's debatable. But the mafia got run out. The sugar cane that didn't belong to uh, Pepsi-Cola anymore. The prostitutes ended up uh, sweeping the streets and picking up trash. So you be the judge. Anyway, what I'm telling you is I'm coming up to something here now, uh, accelerating as we go. Uh, the banking industry uh, thought to do with America as they did with Europe. They had to gain positive control, civilian, privately owned banks had to gain control of the of the currency and credit of the United States. Well, by the Constitution, belonged to the U.S. Congress. But the, we didn't have radios or television in those days, so they bought up the 50 most uh, influential newspapers, like the New York Times, Washington Post, and 48 others. And they began to run propaganda that how could we leave in the hands of an incompetent uh, Congress what should be run by the professionals? They said it's only in the uh, oldest profession that the amateurs think they're as good as the professionals. We need a Federal Reserve uh, that would actually uh, be responsible for the currency and credit of the United States, uh, and the U.S. government would continue to print the money, but the privately owned banks were going to control it because they were the experts, don't you know? And when you own these newspapers, it took them a long time. But finally, they got to the point, just before World War I, because you see, war is an engine of banking, got to the point where we passed the Federal Reserve Act which took away from Congress uh, their constitutional responsibilities uh, to uh, actually be the ones. We didn't have private banks that control the currency and credit, but we do now. Now, Bernanke is head of the Federal Reserve. They have made his position a, a federal position. But the banks, <laughs> ask yourself, where is all the gold, and who holds it, and who owns it? Well, you say Fort Knox, <laughs> but I say that the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which is a privately owned concern, and 90 feet beneath the sidewalk, they sell tours, they have the world's gold supply there. You can look it up on your Internet if you want to, and it might be of interest to you. Now, the United States was the target because we were the richest nation. Uh, we owned our land. We owned, I mean, it wasn't a feudal. It wasn't this fee simple like it is now. 
And so uh, they kept they, meaning the the actual blue bloods are actually probably more responsible. And, see, the blue bloods aren't the bankers. The Rothschilds were always standing in the shadows, waiting because if they control the money, if they control the credit, if they control what the money was worth, then they didn't need to be the sovereign. So that is exactly how it comes down to make war, get involved, war, because the banks just fill their coffers, don't they? And other, like defense industry, uh, they do very well, too. But what's happened, let me show you, because in 1832, we didn't have any Federal Reserve. We didn't have any Federal Reserve until 1913, and uh, then, of course, we got the income tax. We got to have some way because every dollar, every any paper money, whether it's one dollar, ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, if it if there was a million dollar bill, it would cost the privately owned Federal Reserve the same, about three and a half cents for the paper and the ink. Now, the face value of that bill, once it is printed by the director of the Mint, is loaned to the United States government, to the banks. It is loaned. The United States government owes interest on the debt. So they're now the only thing is you see the newspapers could do a lot in finally gaining the vote for the Federal Reserve, uh, but uh, people aren't just completely stupid. So they said because you see there were a lot of coinage back in those days. They said any coinage, the American government gets the credit against the debt for the face value because you know that it's not silver anymore, is it? I don't even know if they got any copper anymore in the penny. But the face value, America gets credit for it. So you know that there's a lot more paper money. And so right now, as we look at it, America owes. America is us, the United States. It's you. It's me. We have a national debt of fourteen trillion, fourteen billion nine hundred and ten million as of now. All right. Now uh, you may say, well, bull. Uh, uh, interest is that a pretty large uh, part yes it is the interest is 202 billion 479 million 
526,000, 27,000, 28,000. And so it's one of the largest expenditures, just paying the interest on our own money. Now, America, you see, we're so important to the world because we're borrowing a lot of money from foreign governments. We don't make anything anymore. We're the only country in the world that doesn't have to make anything, but we can print our own money. And every country in the world accepts the American dollar. But friends, we are in deep trouble. The fiat money system, which means you print money and there's no gold or silver or anything behind it, has always failed in the end. We are coming very close. The U.S. Congress uh, will have to decide very soon because our debt ceiling is $14 trillion, $300 billion. We're already $14 trillion, $14 billion. Well, yeah, and, uh, and, and even uh, growing by $4 billion every day. So what happens if the uh, OPEC, these uh, countries that are producers and owners of petroleum, what if they, because uh, most of them are Islamic, if they decide that they don't want to make the U.S. dollar the basis for petroleum? And now they're going to use the euro. I mean, just as an example, what happens to the U.S. dollar? It shrinks. What happens to us? Today, the Secretary of Defense, I didn't like him when he did this uh, deception, the don't ask, don't tell. I like him a lot less. He says that the Defense Department people the soldiers, the retired soldiers, when I say soldier, I mean all military, that they are going to have to start paying more. Yes, which means that now the medical that they promised us, we're going to have to start paying for it. The medications that they promised us, we're going to try care, we're going to have to start paying more. Friends, get ready, because it means everything, mighty. I've got a solution for this. I just run out of time. You know, it's like the University of Oklahoma. We have never lost a football game. We have only run out of time. And so I'm going to leave you today, and I had so many things to talk to you about. Uh, but I will be back Monday. Now figure out how you're going to take care of the Sabbath, will you? All right, guys. God bless you. I will see you on Monday. Keep tuned in to American Voice Radio. We'll just today, but only three, three parades. Train to live off nature's land. Trained in combat. 
in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
of the New World Order. So what happened was the guy gave a lecture to the Pittsburgh Pediatric Society in 1969 where he let the uh, crushed cat out of the bag and his lecture was taped and those tapes were finally transcribed and basically the agenda is to corrupt morality, encourage unrestricted sense gratification, and eliminate or ridicule religiosity, spirituality, common sense, and the concept of right or wrong. So what happened was I got a copy of all those tape transcriptions, and I disseminated them, and I wrote them, and I, I, whatever, anyway, I put it all together. So what I'm going to do on this show is basically list the agendas that society was going to be ingrained to follow. And suffice it to say that the powers to be, the haves, want our world to basically go to hell in a handbasket so they can dictate activity, consciousness, and work towards the ultimate control over each and every one of us. So the guy, Dr. Day, begins his lecture by saying, and this is a quote, is there a power, a force, or a group of men organizing and redirecting change? Everything is in place, and nobody can stop us now. People will have to get used to change. Okay, so this is how he starts his, his rap, right? So the point that he talked about, and I'm not going to elaborate on each and every one of them, but after I enumerate all his points, then we'll get into a little bit more conversation so you can understand. Now, you've got to remember, like I said, this is back in 1969. That's, um, you know, 40-some-odd years ago, Okay. So the point, the stated goals of this New World Order are population control, having to ask permission to bear children, redirecting the purpose of sex, in other words, sex without reproduction and reproduction without sex, contraception universally available to everyone, Sex education as a tool of world government. Tax-funded abortion as population control. Encouraging homosexuality as a means of population control. Families to diminish in importance. Euthanasia and the demise pill. Limiting access to affordable medical care makes eliminating the elderly easier, planning the control over medicine, elimination of private doctors, too difficult to diagnose and untreatable diseases, suppressing cancer cure as a means of population control, inducing heart attacks 
as a form of assassination. Education as a tool for accelerating the onset of puberty and evolution. Blending all religions, the old religions will have to go. Changing the Bible through revisions of key words. Having the churches help the new world order. Restructuring education as a tool of indoctrination. More time in schools but not learning anything. Controlling who has access to information. Schools as the hub of the community. Some books would just disappear from the library. Changing laws. Encouraging drug abuse to create a jungle atmosphere, promoting alcohol abuse, restrictions on travel, the need for more jails and using hospitals as jails, no more security, crime used to manage society, curtailment of American industrial preeminence, Shifting populations and economies, basically tearing social roots, using sports as a tool of social change. I'll talk about that one later because that's so prevalent it's ridiculous. Sex and violence inculcated through entertainment. Travel restrictions and implanted IDs. Food control. Hello, Monsanto. Weather control, the HARP project, uh, which was evidenced by Hurricane Sandy. You may remember that hurricane that hit the Jersey Shore. That was ultimately directed towards Wall Street, but it missed its target. Knowing how people respond to make them do what you want. Falsified scientific research. Hello, Monsanto. Terrorism financial control, surveillance, implants, and televisions that watch you, home ownership, a thing of the past, and the arrival of the totalitarian global system. Okay, those were his points. That's what he talked about. And I'm sure by now, just by listening to that, you have some idea of how much of this has already been implemented. So as I continue to talk about how Dr. Douglas presented them, you have to realize that we have to have more fight against the non-labeling of GMO foods. We have more fight. We have to fight more against it because this is all planned. This is really all planned. And if you want documentation, just Google the new order of barbarians. Seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm really not making this stuff up. And this is stuff that you, um, that you have to understand. Because the key, the key here, the key here is, The haves want us gone so they can 
women enjoy more false enjoyment. Seriously. So, first and foremost, when Dave spoke openly about this in 1969, what he talked about started in Hitler's day. And despite Hitler losing the war, the Rockefellers, Prescott Bush, yes, that was the senior Bush of the two presidents that we had, I.G. Farben, and the other halves, decided to push forward. So here we are, you know, let's, let's, you know, so 22 years later, after Day's, Dr. Day's lecture, which would be around 1991, two of his buddies, a Randy Engel and a Dr. Lawrence Dunnigan, got to talk about it. And after elaborating a little bit on their thoughts, we'll get to the modern-day atrocities that you can see happening in front of you on a day-by-day basis. So when they discussed cancer cures, they talked about the numerous cancer cures sitting at the Rockefeller Institute, which was withheld from the public and the medical profession. And while Dave spoke about this, he also said, when he addressed these people, you will forget most or much of what I'm going to tell you tonight. So why would they forget? Do you possibly think that a huge flesh-based meal and unlimited alcohol would have anything to do with that? Even then, Back in 69, the people were dumbed down. So while talking about changing the image of the doctor, it was to turn them into a high-paid technician rather than a professional who exercises independent judgment on behalf of his independent patient. So if you look at today's physician, for the most part, you see a hooker for the big pharmaceutical pimp treating a a symptom endlessly with toxic synthetic chemicals instead of trying to dig for the cure. And what does this lifetime of filling the body with endless toxic chemicals do? It shortens the lifespan. Then they compared the Americans to the Europeans and said that the Americans were too trusting and never asked the right questions, while the Europeans were more skeptical and more sophisticated. So the Americans had this lack of discernment and were easily tricked because they were too trusting. So in other words, if you want someone to do something and you know that initially they might balk at it because it's against their morals or religious beliefs, You have to substitute another reason that will be acceptable. And then after it is accepted, it will be a done deal and there will be no turning back. So in this vein, for example, look how quickly the so-called AIDS education was introduced and ultimately accepted. So if a group wanted to introduce the concept of sodomy, 
or initiate sex earlier and earlier in children. And that was the reason given. You, as a parent, would not go for it. But what if the reason was changed and then accepted? And the new reason that was changed was to protect the children from AIDS. So now that education is available from kindergarten to 12th grade, it's a great boon for the homosexual network because now they have access to the kids from the earliest years. So the emphasis on youth was stated explicitly because people beyond a certain age are not set in their ways and they're not likely to change or discard their values. But the little kids, they're very pliable. You understand? They are very, very pliable. And you can mold them. And, 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 and this is what you do. So by being pliable and being molded in any direction you want, and target the young because they'll be around a lot longer than the old fogies that die off anyway. So Dr. Day recognized activity as a bizarre, abnormal behavior. But that activity was just another element in the law of the jungle because people who are stupid enough to go along with it are not fit to inhabit the planet, and they'll just go by the wayside. And if you're dumb enough to be convinced by the promotion of homosexuality, you don't deserve a place, and they'll, you'll get, they'll be rid of you soon enough. So the people who will survive are also smart enough not to be deluded by the propaganda. That's what he said guy was a true humanitarian. So from this promotion of homosexuality came the concept of downgrading or eliminating God from the equation altogether. And the concept of not being able to see him led to the propaganda of doubting his existence. After all, since God heartily denounced, rejected, and punished homosexual behavior, if you can take him out of the picture, anything goes. And you wait. How long is it going to be before pedophilia emerges as a natural process? Well, actually, it does exist right now in the Catholic Church. And what happens when a priest is found to be a pedophile? Well, he's just sent to another parish. It's really simple. So when Dr. Day attacked religion because he was an atheist, he advocated creating our own religion because in doing so, then they could further define what religion is. And what was their target? The Roman Catholic Church. And what he said was, once that falls, the rest of Christianity will be easy. So along these lines, 
back in 2013, there was this article in the Honolulu Star Advertiser about a church service in Los Angeles that was made up of atheists finding camaraderie without religion. So this movement dovetails with new studies that show an increasing number of Americans drifting away from any religious affiliation. And this uh, organization, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, released a study that found 20% of Americans say they have no religious affiliations, which was an increase from 15% in the last five years, and that was back in 2013. So maybe the concept of abandoning religious or spiritual values has not encompassed all of society. But as you can see, it is growing. And what fruit does a godless society bear? Chaos, quarrel, and confusion. So regarding the Bible, Dr. Dave said the plan was underfoot to change wording. And as he put it, words are weapons. And an example would be to change the word altar to table or sacrifice to meal. When you change words, you change ideas, you change thoughts. Now, take the word gay, for example. When I grew up as a little kid in the 40s and 50s, Gay men happy. Today, it's a mahu. It's a pervert. And it's never used in any other way. And then we have, quote, unquote, sex education. Is that not just a euphemism for conditioning? Seriously. Is it? I mean, I mean come on. And why was the word homophobe created? It's obvious. And, and, and that being the case, why has the word heterophobe never been used in the mainstream media? Pimps, hookers, and tricks. It's all about creating a mindset and directing you down a particular road. Now, what kind of reason would there be for promoting abortions? 